Ask not what your country can do for you. There's a last time I've got to be in the lead. The time was a pass. Peter, oh, you little mouse, so won't you go away? One ringy-dingy. Hand off to Griffin, cracks the middle, gets the five. Touchdown, Ohio State. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. I'm interested to know, Gracie, who's your choice? Need you ask, George. Time now for spinning my dad's vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Vaccarello. Thanks, sweetie, and thank you for tuning in to episode 14 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Benny Goodman is known as the King of Swing. He entertained millions of people around the world and sold millions of albums even long after he died. In this episode, we get to hear selections from a special live performance from 1958. Let's swing into Volume 14, Benny at the World Fair.
long version of One O'Clock Jump, a song performed by many artists over the years that was written by Count Basie and Lee Gaines. Okay, why this album? Well, I'm very big into live music, especially jazz. And Benny Goodman just has this natural lyrical hook in the way he plays. It's just so smooth. He's You always know it's him when you hear the music. And this album is actually Benny's favorite recordings from the week-long gig at the Brussels World Fair in 1958. So not only great songs, but some great versions that didn't really get played on the radio very much. And there's on this album, there's an extra-long version of Sing, 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 which is one of my favorite songs, period, not just one of my favorite Benny Goodman songs. Um, I will not be playing it because that tune number one is already an eight and a half minute song. This live version includes about a seven minute drum solo. So I thought a 16 minute monster like that might be a little too much for this show. It would definitely make me hungry. And I think I'm hungry for some Chevapi. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great pleasure to be here under the auspices of the Westinghouse Broadcasting Company. Now we'd like to play the Balkan Mixed Grill.
that a great melody that is balkan mixed grill written by Mladen gutesha very very big hit in europe and then after reading the recipe for chevapi a balkan dish my girlfriend are going to try to make it um we'll let you know how it turns out all right let's introduce you to this episode's album Benny Goodman, Benny Goodman plays world favorites in high fidelity. It is on the Westinghouse Broadcasting Company label. It is a vinyl LP. It is mono and was released in 1958. Let's read just some of the liner notes from this because there happened to be a lot on this album. Khrushchev quipped a newspaper man who had just seen a staid Brussels World's Fair audience turn into a cheering mob, would trade three Sputniks for a Russian Benny Goodman. Anyone who has ever watched Goodman perform for international audiences knows the truth behind the jest. For the plain, simple, dramatic fact is that Benny Goodman, clarinetist and diplomat, has done more to help Americans make friends from Bangkok to Brussels than many a striped pants professional with a square outlook on life. And this album, a special souvenir of the Brussels World's Fair, brings the spirit and substance of the Goodman Band to life. The exciting performances were recorded before audiences at the American Theater during a special concert week at the fair sponsored by the Westinghouse Broadcasting Company as a public service to all Americans. For the occasion, Benny put together one of his finest post-war organizations. That's why you'll glow over the vitality and life in the big and small Goodman groups. Benny, too, never felt better than during his stay at the fair, and you'll find more of his solos in this album than you've heard in a long, long time. 
Yes, and excellent, excellent versions of the music so far on this album and lots more to come. Okay, let's talk about the value of this album. Discogs has it listed anywhere between $0.50 and $4.64 with a median of $1.99. Founded on Amazon for $5.03 kind of odd, and eBay for $8.62. Another odd one. My dad happens to have two copies of this album. Uh, The one you are not hearing on this episode is in really poor condition, both the, the record and the covered. There, of course, is black tape and my dad's label on the cover, along with one of his postage stamps. I didn't really even, uh, oh, I, I, I didn't play the album. I did pull it out, and it is rather dirty, so I didn't even want to try cleaning it and putting it on the turntable to hear what it sounded like. The other uh, version of his album, his other copy, is, is, is in fair to good condition, except there is a big skip in one of the upcoming tunes. I'll warn you about that. Um, But that's all part of this show, right? The cover is in good condition, even still has its paper sleeve. Uh, The album itself is in fair condition. My dad bought this for $1.49. How do I know? The price tag is still on it. I'm going to say it's worth 50 cents. By the way, the other other album, my dad's value, (laughs) I'll give it to you if you want it. All right. Now, I don't know about the rest of you with teenagers, but the title of this next tune is a constant phrase around my place.
driving me crazy. Written by Walter Donaldson. Okay, time now to learn about the artist. And just like some of the long songs on this album, this one is going to be a little bit longer of a bio. Benjamin David Goodman was born on May 30th, 1909 in Chicago. He was the ninth child of immigrants, David Goodman and Dora Grzynski Goodman, who left Russia to escape anti-Semitism. Benny's mother never learned to speak English. His father worked for a tailor to support his large family, which eventually grew to include a total of 12 children and had trouble making ends meet. When Benny was 10 years old, his father sent him to study music at Kahala Jacob Synagogue in Chicago. There, Benny learned the clarinet under the tutelage of Chicago Symphony member Franz Schwepp, while two of his brothers learned tuba and trumpet. He also played in the band at Jane Addams' famous social settlement, Hull House. Benny's aptitude on the clarinet was immediately apparent. While he was still very young, he became a professional musician and played in several bands in Chicago. He played with his first pit band at the age of 11 and became a member of the American Federation of Musicians when he was 14 when he quit school to pursue his career in music. When his father died, 15-year-old Benny used the money he made to help support his family. During these early years in Chicago, he played with many musicians who would later become nationally renowned, such as Frank Tushmacher and Dave Tuff. When Benny was 16, he was hired by the Ben Pollock Band and moved to Los Angeles. He remained with that band for four years and became a featured soloist. In 1929, the year that marked the onset of the Great Depression and a time of distress for America, Benny left the Ben Pollock Band to participate in recording sessions and radio shows in New York City. Then, in 1933, Benny began to work with John Hammond, a jazz promoter who would later help to launch the recording careers of Billie Holiday and Count Basie, among many others. Hammond wanted Benny to record with drummer Gene Krupa and trombonist Jack Teagarden, and the result of this recording session was the onset of Benny's national popularity. Later in 1942, Benny would marry Alice Hammond Duckworth, John Hammond's sister, and have two daughters, Rachel, who became a concert pianist, and Benji, who became a cellist. Benny led his first band in 1934 and began a few-month stint at Billy Rose's Music Hall, featuring Fletcher Henderson's arrangements, along with band members Bunny Berrigan, Gene Krupa, and Jess Stacy. The music they played had its roots in the southern jazz forms of ragtime and Dixieland, while its structure adhered more to arranged music than its more improvisational jazz counterparts. This gave it an accessibility that appealed to American audiences on a wide scale. America began to hear Benny's band when he secured a weekly engagement for his band on NBC's radio show Let's Dance, which was taped with a live studio audience. The new swing music had the kids dancing when on August 21, 1935, Benny's band played the Palomar Ballroom in Los Angeles. The gig was sensational and marked the beginnings of the years that Benny would reign as king, the swing era. Teenagers and college students invented new dance steps to accompany the new music sensation. Benny's band, along with many others, became hugely successful among listeners from many different backgrounds all over the country. During this period, Benny also became famous for being colorblind when it came to racial segregation and prejudice. Pianist Teddy Wilson, an African-American, first appeared in the Benny Goodman Trio at the Congress Hotel in 1935. Benny added Lionel Hampton, who would later form his own band, to his Benny Goodman Quartet the next year. While these groups were not the first bands to feature both white and black musicians, Benny's national popularity helped to make racially mixed groups more accepted in the mainstream. Benny once said, quote, If a guy's got it, let him give it. I'm selling music, not prejudiced, unquote. 
Benny's success as an icon of the swing era prompted Time Magazine in 1937 to call him the King of Swing. The next year, at the pinnacle of the swing era, the Benny Goodman Band, along with musicians from the Count Basie and Duke Ellington Bands, made history as the first jazz band ever to play in New York's prestigious Carnegie Hall. The swing era began to come to a close as America got more involved in World War II. Several factors contributed to its waning success, including the loss of musicians to the draft and the limits that gas rationing put on touring bands. However, though the big band days were drawing to a close and new forms of music were emerging, Benny continued to play music in the swing style. Much of the 1950s marked the spread of Benny's music to new audiences around the world. The Benny Goodman Story, a film chronicling his life, was released in 1955, exposing new and younger audiences to his music. Benny also toured the world, bringing his music to Asia and Europe. When he traveled to the USSR, one writer observed that the swing music that had once set the jitterbugs dancing in the Paramount Isles almost blew down the Iron Curtain. During the late 1960s and 1970s, Benny appeared in reunions with other band members of his quartet, Teddy Wilson, Gene Krupa, and Lionel Hampton. In 1978, the Benny Goodman Band also appeared at Carnegie Hall, marking the 30th anniversary of when they appeared in the venue's first jazz concert. In 1982, Benny was honored by the Kennedy Center for his lifetime achievements in swing music. In 1986, he received both an honorary doctorate degree from music from Columbia University and the Grammy Award for Lifetime Achievement. He continued to play the music that defined his lifetime and occasional concert dates until his death in 1986 of cardiac arrest. Through his amazing career, Benny Goodman did not change his style to confirm to the latest trends, but retained the original sound that defined the swing era and made him the world-renowned King of Swing. By the way, thank you to BennyGoodman.com for that bio info. And believe me, I still left a lot of interesting things out of that. Next up, I've told you that this is a show full of skips, scratches, and pops. But it's too good of a tune to ignore.
there is Avalon, written by Al Jolson, Buddy De Silva, and Vincent Rose. Okay, time for this episode's interesting side note. And it has to do with Benny's wish to visit Russia before this album and after this album. We're going to start with some liner notes. Almost 10 years ago, Goodman was asked to take over a series of jazz record programs for the Voice of America Russian transmission. He did so. After the programs had been going on for some time, Ambassador Beetle Smith wired enthusiastically that the Russian band leaders were playing American songs, and the only place they could have heard these songs was on Goodman's record programs. Benny has always had a staunch respect for Russian musicians. He met a couple during their American tours and tried to enlist their aid in getting to the Soviet Union for a concert series. But despite his best efforts, the Russians wanted no part of his band in their country. So far, they have refused to give him a visa to come and play. Perhaps as one onlooker at the Brussels Fair put it, quote, they know they can't match Goodman, and they're afraid of what their own audiences might do when they hear the band, unquote. In any event, many of the Russians just happened to catch the Goodman concerts during the week he was at the fair. So, four years after he recorded this album that we are hearing in this episode, he finally made it to Russia. And there was a documentary released about that trip. The Montreal Gazette, in the review of the documentary, said, It recounts a cultural exchange trip to the USSR made by American jazz musician Benny Goodman and his orchestra back in 1962. In the space of a few weeks, there were 30 concerts in six cities that were seen by 176,800 people. The Americans did know that they were under observation and noticed that if anyone talked to them for more than a moment, some guy in a dark suit would come by and give that person a meaningful glance, but they also knew that they were safe from any reprisals. An American record was such a rare thing that it was like a fetish object for one Russian man. He recalled holding it, weighing it in his hands, turning it over and over, smelling the cardboard jacket. He imagined that it smelled like the West. People who were too afraid to approach the visitors directly would hide in the bushes and call out names of U.S. jazz stars. The Americans would answer back with more names. After Goodman's visit, one musician received an all-expenses-paid offer to tour the U.S. His wife burned the letter for fear it would get them arrested as spies. And such a suspicious nature of the Soviets during the Cold War. We heard those kind of stories all the time. Now, let's go from czars to another kind of royalty.
That is the King Porter Stomp, written by Jelly Roll Morton, who we will hear recordings from in another episode of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Uh, also by Sid Robin and Sonny Burke. Uh, this episode had some great music that took me back to my early days in radio when I was working for the nation's number one nostalgia station in Cleveland, WBBG. In fact, our tagline was Big Band Grandstand and much more. And even though my dad listened to a lot of this music at home, I played from a much larger library six nights a week from midnight to six. So I got to hear a lot of this music beyond my dad's collection. And you didn't hear the recordings that are on this album on the radio very often, if at all. And now, before we lower the flag on this campsite, we have one more tune. Billy Meyer, Elmer Chabelle, and Jack Pettis. I always appreciate bugle or bugle calls in music. I was the bugler for Boy Scout camp during the summers back in the 1970s at good old Camp Stick Wandish. Brings back great memories. Thank you for tuning into Volume 14, Benny at the World Fair, However You Did. 
If you want more information about this podcast, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops with Volume 15, Maynard Ferguson Octet. Go with the flow, my friends. <laughs>